0: Al Jazeera Podcasts.
1: A dramatic shift by North Korea. It's tearing up its goal of unification with the South, a policy in place for decades. North Korea's leader, Kim Jong-un, also said that his country doesn't want war, but won't avoid one either. So what's behind his surprise move? Hello, I'm Adrian Finnegan. You're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyse and help to define major global stories. We'll bring in our guests now from Evanston in the US. We're joined uh, by uh, ji yeon and uh, she is a Korean historian and board member of the peace campaign Women Cross the DMZ. From Seoul, we're joined by Fyodor Tatitsky who is a professor at Cookman University and author of The North Korean Army, History, Structure, Daily Life. And from Beijing, Aina Tangen, a political and economic affairs specialist and senior fellow at the Taiha Institute. Welcome to you all. Let's go straight to Seoul to start. Fyodor, how dangerous a moment is this for the Korean peninsula and how concerned should the rest of us be?
0: I wouldn't say it's particularly dangerous. It doesn't seem that it's uh, something which would lead to war. Uh, I would say my explanation would be Kim Kim Jong-un is primarily addressing his internal audience and the bellicose rhetoric is something which North Korea always does.
1: Okay, Ina Tangyun, do you agree with that? Has Kim made a strategic decision to go to war?
2: No, I, I doubt that. I mean, if it, it, we're so busy sometimes trying to read tea leaves of um, the DPRK, which w- we can't see. Uh, we don't pay attention to the obvious. I mean, here's a man who's taking his daughter uh, to work with him. Uh, you generally don't take your daughter to work if you're planning Armageddon. He's also been carefully choreographing everything, um, just making sure that he's in essence going to trade your reunification Uh, for peace uh, in the end, because he wants to establish North Korea as a separate entity and make sure that his bloodline is able to succeed him. So at this point, uh, there was never a real pathway for Korean reunification for the Kim family because they were not going to be able to rule a um, North and South Korea that was united. So this seems uh, fairly rational. I think a lot of the the beating of the drum is to try to uh, get some third party to uh, indicate that they think peace talks should be had. And then um, a lot of this is just positioning in terms of leverage.
1: Ji-yeon, do you agree with what Aina was saying? I mean, to, to what extent was, was Kim's announcement, the, the almost inevitable culmination of years of, of building tension, unprecedented though it was, uh, how does it fit into, into a wider historical context?
3: Now, I think it's important to remember that or to to realize that North Korea has always tried to engage with the United States and to enter the broader global community that engagement with the United States represents. Um, And along the way, it has done a number of different things, everything from various kinds of appeasement and engagement to saber-rattling. Right now, it's in a really high saber-rattling phase. Kim Jong-un, will never initiate war because he knows that initiating war means war with the United States. And think about the broader context of where North Korea is right now. It remains in a nutritional crisis where its people are malnourished to some degree or other. It remains in an energy crisis where you don't have enough energy to produce basic goods. You don't have enough energy to actually have its military training 24 seven, the way the US military trains 24 seven. North Korea is in no condition to wage war. It doesn't want to wage war. What it really wants is what it's always wanted, engagement with the US and entree into the broader
1: global community. Uh, so who was the intended audience, do you think, for Kim's remarks? Was it the US um, or, or was it aimed also at a domestic audience? I mean, is is the timing of Kim's announcement significant?
0: Well, I think it's uh, the domestic audience primarily. I don't think it was an international statement. Uh, so the thing is... For uh, Kim Jong-un's uh, governance, for his regime, the very concept of unification poses an enormous threat. Because if you say that South Koreans are the same people as us, the Northerners, uh, people will start thinking, well, South Korea is a much richer place, a freer place, shouldn't be just unify with South Korea on South Korean terms. So if you put a U-turn at that, if you say, no, they're actually not like us, they're evil, they're hostile, they're enemy, it makes all the sense. The problem is just like very many North Korean people, including the uh, uh, most of Koreans who are not particular fans of Kim Jong-un, are very emotionally attached to the idea of unification. So I would say it probably came to a lot of people in the North as a complete and utter shock. Because once again, you go from... Uh,
1: we are one nation, tragically separated, to you are the enemy, and you'll never, ever unify. do you uh, agree with that? Despite the, the, the hard-line tone of uh, the, Kim Jong-un's remarks, um, does the North actually want to engage, do you think? To what extent was this, then, just attention-grabbing bluster aimed at, at forcing a change in attitude from the US and South Korea in particular?
2: Well, if that was the aim, I don't think it was uh, achieved. Uh, This is not about uh, US or South Korean attitudes. I agree with uh, my colleague when he says this is for the domestic audience primarily. But uh, keep in mind, you know, this issue about reunification was the stumbling block to any kind of peace treaty actually being done, because they couldn't figure out how it could uh, could be done that would be acceptable to the Kim family. So you remove that, you say they're the enemy, Uh, we're our own country, we're gonna take care of our own. Um, It's very easy. Uh, You you can see it quite clearly, what he's doing. And he's signaling to the international community as well that he's ready to do something. Remember this, and I agree with my uh, other colleague in the United States, they are in dire uh, economic uh, circumstances. Um, their economy has been shrinking. Uh, they do not have enough, uh, you know, to mount a huge offensive or anything like that. All they have is their nuclear weapons, the threat of them. But if any, they were to use those on South Korea, it would mean the obliteration of uh, Pyongyang and uh, probably a few other cities there. Uh, it's just not a uh, an acceptable, viable option if he, his real intent is to pass on his uh, his uh you know powers to his children
1: Jion, um uh, okay so so we, we, we're getting to we, we're beginning to get into to the reasons why uh, uh kim jong-un may have made the remarks that he did i mean it, it's not unusual for relations to blow hot and cold but but these remarks were unprecedented weren't they i mean how will south korea react to them do you think
3: Well, South Korea has already reacted to North um, from the moment that the new president, Yoon Sung-yeol, took office. He announced a foreign policy initiative in which he said that engagement with the North would no longer be any kind of priority for the South, but rather aligning with the U.S. on global engagement goals would be the South's priority. And what that signaled to the North was, we no longer care about engaging with the North. So what Kim Jong-un has come back with is, well, if you don't care about engaging with us, we'll go one step further. We don't care about engaging with you. In fact, we're not going to care about unification any longer and we're gonna say that, you know, as we were during the war, we are enemies. So it's very much a game of up the ante, but to a large extent, at least from the side of the North, it is a rhetorical game more than it is a game backed up by any kind of resources or ability to actually act.
1: Fyodor, as we heard in, in Imogen's report at the beginning of the programme, since uh, Kim's remarks, North Korea's foreign minister has been to Moscow and, and met with Russia's President uh, Vladimir Putin. What, what are we to make of that?
0: Well, I'm just saying this is probably just a preparatory meeting because Putin is scheduled to visit Pyongyang, so they are probably talking about the details. And as Putin's visit for Pyongyang, this is probably just a buying mobil more for this for in Ukraine.
1: Okay. ji uh, do, do you want to come in?
3: Yeah, you know, I think that um, one has to think about North Korea, how it has historically moved between China and Russia. Um, you know, sticking to one or the other, depending on where we could find the advantage. Right now, for a variety of reasons, it's moving a little bit closer to Russia. Um, and part of that has to do with uh, Russia kind of needs uh, North Korea a little bit more. And so therefore, North Korea is going to be able to get stuff from Russia that it wants to have. I believe that that's what uh, North Korea's calculation is. It's not really about actually, you um, Agreeing with North with uh, Russia's policy actions or um, you know uh, Russia's stance on any particular issues.
1: Aina, I just wonder, would Beijing have been consulted or warned about about what Kim Jong Un was about to say?
2: Oh, I can assure you, they weren't. They were surprised as anybody. In fact, um, they haven't said anything. Uh, There was a report in uh, South China Morning Post, but other than that, there has been complete silence by the domestic press. Uh, I have not been contacted about any shows that they want to do on this issue. Uh, They are, as usual, uh, looking over the situation trying to figure out exactly what it means. Um, In terms of uh, my colleagues' comments, though, um, I agree, improved relations with Russia, but also declining U.S. hegemony, I mean, especially over uh, currencies. You see countries going in different directions. This gives some uh, economic breathing space, or at least some light at the end of a very dark tunnel uh, for North Korea. They have substantial Uh, resources. They'd like to get them out. If they can get them out through Russia and then through uh, other means, uh, they would be very happy to do that. So, um, you know, but neither has the U.S. Uh, Keep that in mind. Uh, There's been no reaction really from the U.S. It's been a number of days uh, the closest they got to it was just uh, a, a diplomatic uh, message that they had met with uh, people in South Korea the day before yesterday, um, and but they had no policy or no uh, statement on it. So as I said, people are just kind of waiting and watching and seeing exactly how this falls out. I, th- I do think the South Koreans are jumping to the gun uh, in terms of saying, well, you know, this means that they're dehumanizing us if we're the enemy. The use of nuclear weapons could be uh, there. But as I said, any use of nuclear weapons in the South Korea would involve the death of U.S. soldiers. If that happened, there's no question that there would be a nuclear response from the U.S., and that would be overwhelming for the DPRK.
1: I know. How, how would you describe the, the state of relations uh, right now between Beijing and, and Pyongyang? How, do, how does Beijing view North Korea? Uh, from my
2: perspective,
1: a problem child, uh, they are not
2: happy with the idea of uh, a nuclear North Korea because it sets off the specter of a nuclear arms race. Uh, South Korea, Japan are easily, you know, they have the technology to come up with their nuclear weapons within weeks, if not hours. Uh, then you have, um, you know, Malaysia, Indonesia, uh specter, even maybe uh, Vietnam saying that they also want them to protect themselves. Uh, this would not be to Beijing's benefit. They want to have a, an area of peace uh, relative to stability, um, you know, and also having the specter of a country that could possibly fail the economic situation are, are dire. Uh, you could have, you know, large um, numbers of refugees, economic refugees pouring over the border. Uh, this is not a border that's heavily armed. Uh, there are fences, but, you know, it would be almost impossible to stop because it's a long, long border.
1: Fyodor, I, 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 let's put a similar sort of question to you then. How, how does Moscow view North Korea uh, right now?
0: Well, traditionally, Moscow has been viewed North Korea as a state in the Chinese state, uh, sphere of influence, Uh, they they only engage in it on a rhetoric level. Lots of talks and not real trade. Like for 2022, the trade balance between the two countries was actually zero. So these new things which happens with munition trade, with uh, like uh, Putin going there again, like I think for the second time, that's, that's actually a very new development because the previous stage started not under even Putin, not even under Yeltsin, it started under Gorbachev. Uh, so what we have witnessing now is a new stage of their relationship, and I think it's more uh, indeed an alliance uh, of convenience of sort. Like uh, when the war in Ukraine uh, stops, uh, I think they
1: will be back to the spare one. Jian, do you want to come in on that? I mean, how how do you think Moscow views North Korea?
3: Um, well, I'm not sure exactly how Moscow views North Korea, but Um, Historically, I do know that both Beijing and Moscow have tried to control North Korea, have tried to have North Korea behave like a proper client state, and North Korea has consistently refused, and therefore has been a problem child for both countries. From the United States' point of view, the United States sees North Korea as a rogue nation that is unpredictable and dangerous, and that is better dealt with by the stick and not the carrot. And um, I believe actually that that is a big mistake. Even rogue nations are better dealt with by the carrot than the stick. And um, throughout its history, North Korea has wanted to engage with the United States, has tried by a variety of methods, and has consistently not had the success that it wanted, right? It did have success once, under the 1994 agreed framework in which the United States um, exchanged, right? Light water, nuclear energy reactors for North Korea denuclearization. And that worked. And during the years that that worked, North Korea did not do anything on this nuclear program. It did not launch missiles. It behaved. And then in the early 2000s, with the Bush administration, it fumbled North Korea policy, and North Korea was just like, oh, well, you guys aren't serious about this. Mm. You actually haven't built any energy reactors for us. You're not really moving forward on that at all. So the agreement is is null now. We can't trust you. And ever since then, we've been in this cycle of saber-rattling, um, maybe some negotiations, more saber rattling. Maybe some negotiations, and the United States has not been successful in seriously engaging with North okay. Korea right. to so, the detriment I, so, 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 J- J- of peace J- overall. What,
1: what would your advice be right now to to the Biden administration? How should it react to Kim Jong Un's uh, uh, remarks, or or indeed to the to the incoming administration mm-hmm. if, if Biden fails to to win re-election?
3: Yeah. Yeah, so I would advise the uh, American president to think about the lyrics to the U.S. National Anthem, where the lyrics say the United States is not only the home of the free, but also the home of the brave. And to take that to heart and have the courage to actually do something positive for peace, to reach out to North Korea and say, we don't want war with you guys. We want peace with you guys. So let's negotiate. Let's start by negotiating a real formal end to the Korean War, because the armistice is not peace. It's only a cessation of hostilities. So let's start by negotiating an actual peace and a formal end to the Korean War so that we are not always on the brink of war with each other. And then let's move from that to normalizing relations so okay. that we can actually have peace. Mm. And then the United States can push North Korea on every issue that it's concerned about. Denuclearization, it can push North Korea. In fact, it won't have to push North Korea. Once there is a formal end to the Korean War and normal relations, North Korea has no incentive. Okay to continue with a nuclear programme. We Ina, can push okay, on let,
1: human rights violations, et cetera, right, et cetera. Let, 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 let's put a question to Aina. To I mean, do, do you agree with what, what Gion was saying there? That ultimately, I mean, despite... We talked about the, the domestic reasons, the, the domestic audience that he was addressing, but ultimately he was attempting uh, to eke out concessions from the West and, and, and relieve sanctions. That's what this is all about. It's, it's just a... It's, it's another step... Uh, on on the long road that he's been treading since that 2019 summit uh, with Donald Trump in Vietnam?
2: Well, the 2019 summit was not his finest hour. He, uh, from his point of view, lost a lot of face. Uh, Another instance, uh, just like during the Bush administration, where they lost uh, faith in the United States. Uh, I I think it's much simpler and that what the great powers should be doing is to jointly convene a peace conference. Uh, It it would be naive to think after all these years and sacrifices that North Korea is going to give up its nuclear weapons. Uh, That is already de facto. But bringing about peace, recognizing them as a separate country, um, that would go a long way to diffusing the situation. Uh, that, uh, you know, these territorial issues can be solved. Um, but this uh, the idea of reunification was always something that was in the clouds, not necessarily something that could be achieved on the ground.
1: Fyodor, uh, having described South Korea as top-class stooges, do you also think that he was attempting to diminish South Korea's regional power, uh, uh, basically hop skipping and jumping over them to w- move toward direct talks with the us
0: well i would say it was more like uh, as i said a message to the uh, internal audience that if, if you wanted to diminish south korean power somewhere it would be south koreans symbolic power or within North koreans people's imagination uh he, they have been talking to the united states They have summits with donald trump all these talks ultimately resulted in nothing. as we just developed these strategic weapons to be like him, and I don't think anything would happen if we would sign this treaty. I actually think that uh, while the Kim families are enough to North Korea. Uh, not then build fundamentally change uh, in the relationship between okay. Okay. the
1: countries or inside North Korea. All right, uh, Gion, I've got about a minute left on on, on the program. Uh, despite the the, the the dramatic shift by North Korea, that the shock of 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 what Kim Jong Un said in, in in that speech, um, are we right to think that that actually uh, this is Uh, nothing more than than Kim Jong-un being Kim Jong-un. It's it's another step on on the road, and there's nothing really to worry about. We're not going to see war on the Korean peninsula anytime soon.
3: Yeah, I don't think we are. I think it's actually much more likely that there will be some kind of a nuclear accident simply because somebody made a mistake, not because anybody actually intended to. And I find that even scarier.
1: Okay. Aina, um, uh, do you want to, last word to you? Do you agree?
2: Yeah. I, I, I look at the timing of this. Uh, the U.S. is preoccupied in Gaza and Ukraine. Uh, China obviously has its issues with the U.S. Uh, I don't think it's by accident uh, that he's choosing this time to press forward what I believe is uh, the succession of his family above the reunification of Korea.
1: Okay. Many thanks indeed, Ji Yun Yup, uh, Fyodor Totitsky. And Tangan for being with us today. This episode was produced by Dermot Fleming, Imogen Kimber, Veronica Pedroza and Paul Taylor. Studio sound was by Mohammed Osman. The programme was edited by George Joseph, David Enders and Joe DeFrias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. And thanks for listening. Tune in again on Thursday for our next edition. On the next Necessary Tomorrows, an asteroid with enough minerals to completely transition Earth to green energy is discovered.
0: But we found it. A bountiful supply of nickel and cobalt that will save our planet many times over.
1: But should the materials go to everyone or just those with the power to get them first? If anyone can take those minerals, we'll only be rewarding greed. The guiding principle in all exploration is first come, first served. A feast for cobalt on Necessary Tomorrows a new podcast by Doha Debates and Al Jazeera. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts.